Hello. All right, we're on the air. Yes. Hello. Welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Katie Halper. It's not Useful This is Idiots Live. Yeah, it's Idiots Live. My mic isn't working, so I'm putting it out of the way. Yeah. Apologies for the sound. So we have, we have three different products that we offer our, our, uh, our listeners. So we have Useful Idiots, the podcast, um, which we actually only half did this week because of a variety of things. We wanted to test this out among other things. Yeah. Um, then we have, Not uh, ha- we didn't have to do it. We're experimenting with how we we're experimenting. It. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and uh, then we have useful idiots, Monday morning edition, which we haven't introduced correctly once. I don't think. Well, you just uh, did just now. Right. But not on Monday morning. Right. That would so be this is, right. Yeah. Trafe. So this is this is idiots live, and uh, just because we we like the kind of live vibe a little bit, we wanted yeah. to see, and 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 the idea of this was to do something at the end of the week as opposed to um, as opposed to Monday, and we're gonna kind the of beginning of the week, right? We're gonna we're gonna look look at like what the big stories were on both kind of conservative and and blue state media, and right. um, tick tick a couple of you know discussions. Um, about each of those things, and uh, and see, um, you know, see, see see what happened this week. Was there anything actually interesting that happened this week? Right. Uh, so, Katie, what, what was was there anything? Where, where should there, we start? Yeah, let's start with um, you know, let's start with friend of show Michael, whose name I can never say. Michael Smirkanish. Yeah. Kursmanish. Kursmanish. Yeah. I think oh. Biden's underwater because he doesn't have a victory he can point to. I, I think that uh, Democrats blew it by, at the end of last week, not giving him the $1.2 trillion victory and instead holding back and hoping that they can get a 3.5 win that I don't know that the majority of Americans are really supportive of. I, I think to go back to where I began, a large part of the country is wondering, how are we going to pay for all this? He should have taken the win. So beyond saying, I'm not Donald Trump, and I've restored some semblance of normality to this conversation, like it's really, what can he point to? We're yeah, out of Afghanistan. It came with a pretty significant cost at the end. Nothing's gotten done on infrastructure. Nothing's on gotten done on yeah. the new Voting yeah. Rights Act. There's a lot of things that he promised that he hasn't been able to deliver. And frankly, Yours. he better start herding cats and getting these progressives to play ball with moderates, or we're going to head into 2022 and it'll be even worse. I think that uh, you're right about his task, except I would flip uh, the uh, suggestion. I think you have to get the moderates to play with the progressives because Biden's with them on the spending. And the only thing uh, I don't understand, Michael, is the spending is popular Red and blue, north and south, every place, every face. These programs, when you talk to people, you know, that's what they're beating Joe Manchin over the head with. You go to West Virginia, you ask the Republicans, Trump won by 40 points. Do you need help with daycare? Do you want free community college? Do you want help with prescription drugs? Everybody's yes on the spending bill categories. Why do you say you don't think people want it? Price tag? Okay. I, I want all those things, but I, I'm looking at different polling data than you are if, if you're suggesting that the country is lock, stock and barrel on his side in this. I, I don't right. think that's the case. That's I think if you it, ask right? any American, yeah, do you one want second, community one second. Sorry, can we just college or the other things that that you've identified for free? The answer is going to be yes. But sooner or later, we're going to have to pay the piper. We haven't had a conversation in this country about debt since Simpson Bowles back in what was it? 2010 on yeah. Obama's watch. It'll never happen. You know, here's why. 
politicians. Chin, chin up. Listen, my message for you, my message for you is chin up. OK, don't be so despondent. There is good news out there if you just read these tea leaves. OK, so a couple things here. One is he's doing the classic um, conflating what he thinks with what the American people think. And he mentions polling that he's looked at. I actually, full disclosure, I tweeted out respectfully. Well, first I tweeted out something that wasn't very respectful, but I tweeted out something um, that uh, asked him what the polling was because he claims that he was looking at polling. So I want to know the polling that he's, that he's looking at. Well, there's there's contradictory polls. So like the, the Fox poll is, is actually in Biden's favor, but the 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 new Pew poll has it has it going in the other direction? Has it has it fifty one forty nine in the other direction? Huh. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. That's a Fox one, but it's also yeah. all in the frame. It's also in the framing of it. It's always in the framing of the question. Yeah. No. I. Yeah. I mean, it, it really obviously it depends on how you ask the question. Yeah. Um. I, I think it's an open question to the, you know, is, is the country in favor of this or not? Probably if you put it to them is, would you like uh, two years of free community college and ch childcare and all these other things? Um, most people would say yes. If you told them that it was going to be means tested, it would probably be a different answer. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like the po the polls are, um, the, po the polls are, I don't know. I don't know how much stock to put in them at this point. Mm -hmm. It's not it's not like a massive swing one way or the other, like some other issues would be. Yeah, there's a Quinnipiac poll that came out this week, I believe. That shows that it's popular. Um, what does the Quinnipiac poll say? The Democratic spending bills retain majority report Quinnipiac universal poll funds. Um. Americans say, hold on one second. Americans say 50, so they say 6234 that they support a roughly $1 trillion spending bill to improve the nation's roads, bridges, um, broadband, and other infrastructure. Uh, and um, Americans say 5740 that they support a $3.5 trillion spending bill on social programs but mm -hmm. what i don't understand is i mean why he's no one cares about people care about debt when it's brought up it's not like an inherently distressing thing uh, you know i, mean, I no don't know has, uh, look or, or the how are we going to pay for a thing is always about social things and not about um well, that's true, but but to, to say that people don't care about spending is, um, look, we got Trump because of the spending issue. I, I think because, and I, and I I watched this happen over years of, um, you know, covering the 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 campaign, the the Tea Party basically, you know, grew out of, uh, at the time was a relatively small group of people who are discontented within the Republican Party about the spending in the Bush administration, right? That was that was sort of the core of the Rand Paul candidacy. Right. Then, um, 
you know, over the years, the the Republican Party's kind of continual embrace of, um, I guess, what you would call deficit spending. Like they, they didn't really spend a whole lot of time like the 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 Mick Mulvaney types were not in running the the Republican Party during the Obama years, which is how we ended up with the Tea Party like that, that, you know, they didn't grow out of nowhere. It was the 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 bailouts were significant for the wrong reasons, like they were they were objected to the wrong parts of the bailout. Um, but that's when it came up. And all a lot of that energy was what led directly to, in other words, this idea that the the national republican party doesn't represent the ordinary republican that all came out of the spending issue for, first that was the first place it expressed itself so you know without making a value judgment about it I, it certainly has had an impact on politics yeah i guess everyone lies about it yeah no i mean i i mean i did a story about it where i went to i went to a a bunch of people going to a speech of sarah palin's um where she was denouncing federal spending and like everybody's sitting in um you know medicare funded walkers and you know right. they, they got oxygen tanks that they you know they got from the government and stuff like that like people lie about this stuff but like it's it's definitely an issue so um and and you know, the, the it's been kind of temporarily sidelined because of the because of the um because of COVID, you know, beginning with the CARES Act and then continuing through all the the bills uh, that uh, that Biden has passed and is trying to pass, you know, they're they're funded in kind of a different way, or at least the the CARES Act was like the, these are these were essentially like Fed funded bills, like they they weren't paid for out of the treasury, or only only portions of them were paid for out of the treasury. Uh, similar to the way we pay, paid for the bailouts, for the most part, uh, there was a big piece that came out of the treasury, but most of it came out of the Fed. Um, so, I don't know. Like, is spending still a thing for people? Is does it still matter to voters? I, I actually don't even know the answer to that question, mm. but it's a good question. Yeah. It's a good question. You know, it's he worth talking about. Yeah, he also does though. Uh, it's funny that he says the the moderates need to get on board with the progressives no, no no sorry he says progressives need to get on board with the moderates and then chris cuomo was like i agree except i'd flip it and have right. the moderates needing to get on board with progressives um which... but don't you find that weird i'm sorry i just there's something about, i know i, I know well, we keep repeating this but why is we... chris cuomo suddenly like the pal of bernie sanders like i mean I... what if it's because people actually are worried that people are going to be desperate in the streets and rising up it could be for self, uh, you know, there is is a level of despair, abject despair that maybe was always there, but has been exacerbated, I think maybe with COVID. Uh, maybe people just want to co-opt that agenda so that there is not more, there are not more Bernie Sanders. So they kind of meet in, you know, mm. the middle, right? Like they did meet in the middle, right? Because what did Bernie want at the beginning? Like six trillion or something? Right. And yeah. we did have we had Ryan Grimm on this week, so that'll be coming out in the in the podcast. His theory seemed to be about about fundraising, uh, from right that they're no they're they're no longer as worried about losing you know big pharma and the fossil fuel industry, which is what you know what's in play if you if you pass this bill like they're 
you might get some unhappy big donors um, right. over some of this stuff. And that's because they're getting money instead from suburbanites who have more money than right. Like, like they figured out from the from the Bernie twenty twenty campaign that you can raise buttloads of money, and and this expressed itself in the Senate campaigns uh, from the same cycle, which is that you know you, you you can get a lot of people who are affluent MSNBC watchers to shell out six hundred bucks for twelve different candidates. Yeah, uh, I mean six hundred bucks total you know, for, for Senate candidates. And that's a, it's an easy way to, to raise a, a lot of money. Like, you right. know, and the, and it, once upon a time, they never raised money that way. That was not their primary thinking. Like we had, it was yeah. like we had to get bundlers and now they, they, you know, they're maybe a little bit less concerned about that. So yeah. that's interesting. You know? Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, or we have an issue that, um, you and I disagree with a. Uh, uh, we have a, a minor disagreement about. It, but yeah. Let's 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 get it. You you, sh you should introduce it since this. All right, is, I'll set it up. So okay, so apparently um, uh, there was, as people know, because we covered this here. Um, hold on, looking for the Bernie thing. Okay, as people know, because we covered this here. Um, uh, cinema was followed into the bathroom uh, by some protesters. Uh, and, uh, um, in fact, I'm going to, let me just do a little screen share so we get a good sense of what, um, of what happened. But as people know, she was followed into the bathroom by protesters and this upset certain people, including Republicans, as we covered here. And it also upset certain Democrats as Alina Treen, uh, tweets, uh, and as Axios, uh, reported on scoop Bernie Sanders withheld support for a joint statement condemning last week's protests against Kirsten Cinema because it also wouldn't include a rebuke of her political views and email exchange leaked to Axios shows. And here is the exchange. So we got an email from Jeff Gertz, who works for Cory Booker, Senator Cory Booker. Um, and it says, uh, subject, Dem Leadership Joint Statement on Cinema Bathroom Incident. Hey, everyone, you may already be aware of this, but yesterday afternoon at the leadership meeting, my boss volunteered to lead a Dem Leadership Statement on the incident in Arizona where some protesters followed Senator Cinema into a women's restroom. Here's the draft we put together. The idea was that we do this jointly as Dem leaders. We take care of pressing send to our press list. Could you please take a look and tell me if you're willing to sign on? Happy to consider any edits as well. And here is the statement. Protests are one of the most powerful tools for a vibrant democracy. That is why the right to peacefully assemble and the right to exercise freedom of speech are enshrined in the First Amendment to the Constitution, and we are committed to fiercely protecting those rights. Following someone into a bathroom and filming the encounter is plainly inappropriate and unacceptable, and it crosses a clear line. What happened in that video was a violation of Senator Sinema's privacy that has no place in our public discourse, and we resolutely condemn it. Okay, so that's their draft. Mike Casca, who works for Senator Sanders, responds, Thanks for organizing and taking the pen, Jeff. Our proposed edit is below in red. The proposed edit reads, while we hope Senator Cinema will change a position on prescription drug reform and support a major reconciliation bill, what happened in that video was a violation of a privacy. There's no place in our public discourse, and we resolutely condemn it. Then uh, the Bookerite, the person who works for Cory Booker, wrote back, Hey, Mike, thanks for the reply. My boss can't agree to the edit. Separately, I'll update everyone soon on signers. Want to make sure I give everyone a chance to process and consider. Thanks. And Casca writes back on behalf of Sanders. 
Sanders will not be signing, so please cut Senate Democratic leadership team from headline. Okay. Now, before we go over whether or not we disagree on that, should we show the Fox News response sure. to that? Yeah. Okay, so let's go to Fox News. Bernie Sanders refusing to sign a joint statement condemning this week's harassment of fellow Senator Kirsten Sinema unless it included language pressuring her to change her stance on that welfare bill of his, of theirs. This according to a report from Axios. Here now, Matt Schlapp, American Conservative Union Chairman. Matt, I just first want to point out, this is the guy who had a supporter who tried to murder Republicans and almost did murder Steve Scalise. And he's not going to sign a blanket statement condemning harassment unless it includes this caveat. So he's essentially saying, I'll say it's unacceptable only if we put in there why she kind of deserved it. Yeah, so these are not spontaneous protests. Obviously, when you get people who are here in the country illegally to act as lobbyists uh, for this big budget-busting bill, um, this is an orchestrated thing. And what you realize is that the Democrats, along with these left-wing nonprofits on the outside, uh, they coordinate very closely, and clearly Bernie Sanders was very comfortable with that pressure in the bathroom and on the airplane and in elevators and other places put on Kristen Cinema and Joe Manchin at his vacation property and everything else. This, these are the tactics of the Democratic Party endorsed by Bernie Sanders. Matt, either condemn it or don't condemn it, as it should be. It's right. harassment. But it is like saying rape is wrong, but maybe you shouldn't wear that short skirt and those high heels. I said it. You didn't. Look, but Joe that's what it that's what it sounds like. Right. Yeah. And Joe we, Biden we, didn't uh, do anything much different. He said, hey, this is part of the process. Uh, you know, maybe it shouldn't be part of the process. And maybe we should have a president that says, look, there are disagreements we have on politics. OK, that, but you shouldn't disrupt it, right? someone's okay, family. Yeah. You shouldn't follow. Yeah. If we if we keep watching it, by the way, they talk about the you know general uh, what the Democrats want to do in general. But anyway. So, OK. There are a couple of things to talk about there, I mean, right? That, that, that rape metaphor, like, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure it makes sense. Does it make sense? It makes no sense. I mean, okay, to be charitable, let's just break it down for, the, for, the, for argument's sake, right? She's basically saying she's comparing following women following another woman into the bathroom uh, with, I guess I, okay. with rape, right? In the analogy, it's saying, well... Uh, it's bad that she got raped, but she shouldn't, but have, worn maybe she shouldn't have worn that dress. Right? Okay. And in this case, it's bad she got followed into the bathroom, but maybe she shouldn't have. Uh, see, what is it? See, it's not quite cause and effect, though. I mean, there's right. They're not saying, but maybe she no, shouldn't I, have. Uh, I, think, I think I think it makes sense. I don't. I, it's it's stupid. Like, I mean, I. <laughs> it's it's Ridiculous. not a place that a you know uh, an anchor should probably go like right. but uh it it's not like a tom total thomas freemanism where it doesn't make any sense at all like yeah it's a, it there is some analogy i mean it's a bad one but yeah sure there is um uh, it's a very bad one i mean i think it's it should be avoided at all costs honestly because and, and Schlapp kind of gave it away when he condemned not just following someone to the bathroom, but onto an airplane or an elevator, which are not the sacred spaces or safe spaces that bathrooms are allegedly. Also, cinema, I think, by the way, did this on purpose. I think so. 
Either she should have held her pee and not gone to the bathroom, or she knew that they were going to follow her into in there. Uh, I look based on what, like based on. Uh, I guess, and to be fair, she could have just been ignoring them as she does everyone. To be fair, she she says nothing to anyone ever. I mean, have you yeah. seen that? Have you seen just people ask her questions in public spaces? She totally ignores them. Yeah, I, I, I think you got your Bernie blinders on a little bit on this one. Um, I don't think so. I think I have my I hate certain politics. I mean, I think I yeah, of course exactly. I always have my Bernie blinders on, but I also have anti cinema blinders on, and I do have an anti. You know, I'm very sensitive to the weaponization of harassment language. Um, Right, but and, what would like? I would be fired if I followed if I followed AOC into a bathroom and filmed her and shouted shit at her. Like, you know, if if I had yeah, but you're a job, you're not a, well, you're you're a dude. You're okay, not so a that, young woman, which obviously makes a difference. And she's also guess, an activist, isn't, isn't not the, a journalist. She's not a journalist. That's the other big thing. That's the other huge part of this, which is that the woman's not a journalist. She's an activist. So who would fire but her? She's, she's putting it on the internet for everybody in the world to see, including every every guy, you know? I mean, like... Yeah, but she's not... Sure, but I'm separating out the fireability of it. I'm saying that you being fired... A journalist would clearly be fired over this. Unless they were like Project Veritas. Which they yeah, no, I, I, I get that. I'm just saying, like, if we if we, if we you take the fact that we can't, that we can't stand Kirsten Cinema out of it, it's 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 pretty borderline behavior, but like even 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 that aside, the the exchange like I, I don't even think this is Bernie. I, I'm I'm I think this is probably Mike Casca, but although I think isn't know, Mike Casca more conciliatory than Bernie? Like Mike Casca would condemn, I feel like condemn the Bernie bro stuff more than Sanders did. San oh, not because Sanders wasn't just. I mean, this reminds me of the Bernie bro discourse a little bit, in that. The, pol the kind of decorum, um, there are assholes on the internet, becomes more important for women and women's rights than the actual policies that actually affect yeah, but this countless isn't, women. This isn't about that. It has This has nothing to do with decorum. Well, this, this I think it does. I mean, they're shield. I think they're using it. <laughs> Maybe we should follow her into a meeting with Big Pharma. Sure. I think that they're, they're using this as... Uh, a shield or she's using this as a shield and, and I, I you see you and i were disagreeing before this about whether or not because i get the principle of either you condemn it or you don't condemn it and it shouldn't be conditional that's right. what you were saying i think that you can condemn it but also condemn other things and and certain things right, are but, more condemnable is that a word and others yeah or contemptible like but that's not the again. That's not the point. What they've what what they're going after here is the idea that. Well, I would condemn it if if we could get my political statement in there, um, which is totally it's totally anti Bernie. Like you know, Bernie's Bernie's whole thing is I believe what I believe, right? And I don't care what I don't care what the politics are. And well, this this is the opposite of that. I think like, he probably yeah. believes, though, in his heart of hearts, he believes, yeah, that's a little inappropriate. And the real thing that's criminal is uh, is cinema allowing people to 
suffer economically, die of not having health care, whatever so, it so, is. So, so don't so don't sign the the thing and and then just make your statement. Don't make it like conditional, like like that. That's just a bad look. Like that 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 exchange leaking out is a bad look for Bernie. Yeah, you because see, because it's very Bernie. Yeah. Well, he is shrewd. He's politically shrewd, right? No, well, his shrewdness is really wrapped up in the idea that he doesn't do shit like this. I guess you see it as like playing politics. I guess I see it as no, I, it's not. It's not playing politics. The whole point is that he he, you know, when when he says something like, "I'm not going to give you my vote for uh, f federal funds to re relocate your factory to China be, uh, until you promise to not." export any more jobs overseas um you know that's based on the idea that like he genuinely believes that the government shouldn't be giving companies money to to export jobs overseas right yeah. like he, he it, there's no the whole thing about bernie and i've always found this to be the most interesting interesting thing about him is that there's no like second version of him under off the record <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like when you go off the record with Bernie, it's the same guy, right. you know? Uh, and so stuff like this, it's like, yeah, yeah, we'll say it if we get something in return. It's just, it's just very un-Bernie to me. And, and. I guess I see it as he's focusing more. I, I, you know, he always talks about the issues, right. And not the personal stuff. So to me, and again, I don't think I'm, to me, I like I like this because to me it like puts it in. When you condemn this in a, in a vacuum, I think it elevates or privileges then or don't condemn prioritizes. It. No, but things can be worthy of condemnation, but not the major story. Like there are lots of things that I think are are condemnable, but shouldn't be. Shouldn't it's like the question is: Is this what the Democrats should be focused on? And when you interject something else, it no longer becomes the sole focus of it. Yeah, we're we're talking we're we're talking past each other in this one. There are plenty of ways to do that without doing this. This is I'll condemn it if you give me something. You know what I mean? Like, he yeah. he, he, he could he could either sign sign the letter or not. Like, I don't really care one way or the other. Either either way is defensible for me. Uh, but. Then, and then right afterwards, he can issue a public statement saying, you know, I, I signed the statement condemning Pope, uh, Kirsten Cinema, but uh, the, the treatment of Kirsten Cinema. But let me just explain what I think is more, really important. You know what I mean? Like, that's how you handle it. Well, you and I would. Yeah, I guess we make different press secretaries. You, you, you just can't. I don't think. No, I don't think that's true. I think that if anything, I have I totally respect the the placing the larger questions at the forefront. I, I legit disagree with you, not because it's Bernie. Like there are times when I have Bernie goggles on, but this to me, I actually, I think that again, the substantive stuff, <laughs> which are his glasses, the substantive stuff is, I've always said this, like when people talk about, I know you're gonna say it's not comparable, but this it's the same thing that, that motivates why I think that, you know, if you want to condemn someone doing something online, saying something bad online, okay, but let's also talk about the policies that, <clears throat> excuse me, right? Like during the 2016 primary, talking about um, about Bernie Bros online, instead of talking about the fact that this woman named Hillary Clinton was running and opposing raising the minimum wage, 
which is something Eric that Eric played Bernie. And what? Let's get I'm him on and interview. Sure. Which is something that disproportionately harms women and women of color. Yeah, that yeah, was always driving me crazy. Like, what? Yeah, okay, if you care about that, then talk about that issue. Katie, you're you're avoiding the thing. I don't think that it's. I just don't think that there's anything inherently problematic about introducing levels of introducing context and uh, different degrees of condemnation. But that's not what's happening here. He's he's selling his his uh, his position on this for a price. Like just like Bernie, if you're if, if you're being honest about this, you ask somebody, are you do you do you think this is bad or not? You just answer the question like, yes, I think it's bad. No, I don't think it's bad. That's that's the only thing you do here. Then this, then there's a separate issue of how much you think Kirsten Cinema sucks. Like you don't you don't leverage one against the other. Like like your your feelings about a moral issue shouldn't be tied to to you know some other consideration. You ask me, do I think do I think there should be prayer in school? Like you know, I'm not going to turn around and say to you. Well, I'll be for it if you if you agree to put um, you know these three things that I care about in your statement. Like, what's what's that? Like, that's not that's what a politician does. That's not what Bernie Sanders does. So anyway, I, I think right, we, we'll agree we've had, we've had our say about this, yeah. but uh, yeah. I I think that was a bad look for Bernie. If it assuming that it's real, yeah, um, which I think, yeah. I, I think, think I mean, maybe you and I would agree on this part, which is that I think it's a pathetic look from Booker to be wasting resources on this. Like, boo fucking who? Yeah, I mean. He's such a loser. Sorry. He's such a suck up. Remember those? So, remember somebody we, probably looked at, you know, some poll and said that this was, this didn't go over well. Yeah. You yeah, know? Um, yeah. So. That maybe they're trying to distance themselves from something. Like. Yeah. Matt Schlapp also just returning to the Fox News thing. I mean, Matt Schlapp is someone who worked for, you know, was ties ties to Trump, uh, right? Did comms for Trump. Uh, and, you know, so if you want to talk about decorum. And, what does that have to do with it? That has nothing to do with. Well, I'm going back to the, I'm just going back to the media clip of it. We can also talk about their hypocrisy. Okay. That doesn't have any relevant bearing on what Bernie did. I'm just saying we're doing media clips, so we can also go back to that. Just like you said, the rape thing was stupid. I'm just pivoting back to right. the media okay. presentation of it. That doesn't change it. You can still disagree with what Bernie did and say that Matt Schlapp and this woman are a bunch of hypocrites. Okay. I'm do that. That there's nothing weird about that. We're we're looking at media clips. It's funny to see. I mean. It, it is kind of funny to see who will speak for on behalf of decency Trumpians, but he wouldn't have followed her in. He would have just made a comment about, you know, like he did with Megyn Kelly bleeding from her eyes or whatever. Probably he wouldn't have followed them, followed her in or he would have had his people. Maybe he would have actually bang her head against the, the, the side of the wall. Like, that, that, you... that was the thing about Trump. Trump uh, speeches—they always have these announcements beforehand. Like if 
if a protester gets up and starts causing trouble during the speech, do not touch or harm the person um, because like our people will do it basically. <laughs> like, right, right. They, they, they had their own, they had their own goons who would like drag people yeah. out on, by their faces. So. Right. Uh, that's what, that's what should happen in cinema. Yeah. I mean, I'm saying that not Matt. <laughs> uh, okay. And to All be right. fair, Mansion. Well, Mansion actually, see, Mansion talks to people. Mansion mm -hmm. talks to people and He's a, he doesn't say anything of substance, but he does talk to people. Whereas cinema just stands there. She should pretend she can't hear that. Okay. I shouldn't give her advice. She should come out because she has a, the foot injury. She should pretend, and she's very into drinking wine. Maybe she can pretend she had some wine related injury where a cork hit her in the ear, but you'd have to have two ears to get hit. I'm just saying, oh, come on, Matt. That is a good that is a good woke way to deal with this. I can't actually hear. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not going to respond yeah. because I can't right. hear. And you ask me questions is ableist. Deficit. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I can see yeah. that. Definitely. Yeah. All right. What else we got? De Wait, definitely. <laughs> I walked right into that. Didn't yeah, I? Did, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, what else happened? We have um, a couple of things, right? But I just finally, in one word, and I shouldn't be looking at the comments, but I am, I have thuggish politics in general that have nothing to do with Bernie Sanders. See, I can't see the comments again. Oh, well, don't look. People like, Katie has a simple view, Bernie this. I have views about not giving a shit about protecting politicians' privacy that have nothing to do with Bernie Sanders. So call me simplistic on that front. It's not all burning. Mm. Mm -hmm. All right. I don't know. I mean, like, I don't think politicians have like an expectation of them privacy anywhere, but, you know, following someone into a congressional bathroom and filming it, it's like, I don't know. All right. Well, let's, let's listen to AOC's response on her being present because it didn't really satisfy anyone the supporters of israel are mad at you for this is about the iron dome vote by the way okay is it worth doing present because it didn't really satisfy anyone the supporters of israel are mad at you for not voting for it critics of yeah. israel are mad at you for not voting against it do you regret that you know, I, it is something that I weigh because there is the, there's always the macro and then there's the micro. And in the macro of narrative, of politics, of, of national impact, um, you know, it, it, I probably should have just gone with, with my value. But in the macro, which would be to vote no, but in the micro, I do believe that this yeah. created um, a window in our community to be able to bring okay. all folks to the table because my great fear is that we are going to import the same sort of um, contention around this issue and we can have a progressive movement that defends Palestinian yes. human rights that is Muslim, Christian, Jewish. Um, but I, so in the micro, I believe that it created a, a, a window of opportunity for us in, in the Bronx. Um, but in the macro, it was very difficult, yes. I was yep. saying that you let me, you stood back and you gave, you wanted to give voice to the Jew, the, the Jewish woman. Um, right. Although you are an IHOP. I'm platforming you. Yeah, you're platforming me. You are an, what is it? Hip, um, an an, an, hip, an hippie. An hippie, which is not an indigenous. 
that sounds kind of like an indigenous word um, for people from here, but it actually stands for Asian uh, American Hawaiian Islander Pacific, yeah. uh, Hawaiian. What is it? Wait, Na Asian American Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander. Yeah. Did you guys know that about Matt? We've talked about on the show, but I need to. We need to highlight that more and more, especially when people accuse him of being racist. Although that does not. But I'm, you. I'm I'm not really enough of one to to really make it count. Like yeah, you know, go, going bald definitely hurt on that score. I think. Oh, interesting. Well, that yeah. except that also gives you that much more of an edge, a leg up on representation. Yeah, that's true because I'm a minority within a minority. I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. But my, my dad is uh, is is a literally indigenous uh, person. He he was he was born uh, in the territory of Hawaii before it was a state. Uh, he's got Native Hawaiian blood, so uh, you know. Yeah. I guess I guess that counts. Uh, all right. So on the AOC thing, yeah. um, what's your what's your okay, read so, on? So just so people understand this. Um, he, she voted present on a bill authorizing Iron Dome spending, which um, I actually interviewed Max Blumenthal about this to kind of look into why, you know, it sounds like a great idea. It's self-defense, but really what it does is it just create, uh, makes the discrepancy between uh, Israel and Palestine or Israelis and Palestinians that much greater. Um, and, Anyway, so that's one point. That's that's why people are, are are against it, and you know we we tend to overfund Israel and their and their military endeavors. So she votes present on it, and Mehdi Hassan is trying is kind of asking her why because when you vote present on something, you're not voting for it, but you're obviously not voting against it. Matt, how would you for contextualize the historically the role of voting present on something? Like what motivates people to do that? Uh, typically it means that you like, you know, cause members can always make an excuse to not be there. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think if when, when you, when you show up to vote present, you're telling people that you're not taking a position on something, yeah. you know, as, as opposed to making it look like, oh, I might've voted this way or that way if I had actually been there, you know? Yeah. Um, being, I, 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 she she's in a she's in a difficult spot because politically it's tough for her to vote against Israel. Um, although you know, frankly, she's been so outspoken on the issue, it it doesn't make a, a ton of sense to me. Well, that she, yes, I mean, what's weird is that she got crap anyway from the pro-Israel from the Israel lobby because she voted present. Mm -hmm. And then of course she got crap. Now to be to be to be honest here, progressives have nowhere to go. I mean, sorry, maybe people want to say they're going to primary AOC, but they're not. So it's not like she's going to lose her primary because she's not sufficiently pro-Palestine. I mean, right. I wish she were more. I think she said some certain thing. I think this is a word salad. But um, just in terms of political consequences, but she, it's, it is a little bit off brand to just vote present. I mean, vote for it. 
So she is in a tough spot. And I think that, you know, other squad members, I'm going to get canceled for saying this because I'm not supposed to be at all sympathetic to AOC, I believe, is the party line. Oh, but, really? Uh, oh, yeah. Why is oh, yeah, that? Yeah. Because then I'm a neoliberal shill. Oh, is she a neoliberal shill? Now? Oh, yeah. She's a sellout shill. Yeah. Yeah. Is this, is this the, uh, is this that whole thing that happened last year that we needed oh, all the flow charts a, for? Oh yeah, we really should revisit that. Yeah, I mean, I think that AOC is singularized in a way that's a bit weird. I understand it, but people are, we should just focus on power and not, I think, making it about people's personalities. I mean, I will say that some of her stuff is a little annoying because in this case uh, and in the case of January 6th, there's just like a lot about centering personal experience, which I find a little bit cheapening and weaponizing. But she cried during the present vote. And I think the micro and macro, I think what she was talking about was the micro was like relationships between Jews and, and non-Jews in her district. Mm. And mm. she did seem to imply, she kind of, in a statement, she, she said that she wanted to delay the or slow the vote. And I think Nancy Pelosi wouldn't let her so there was definitely she was angry with the leadership, which is fine and good. Because um, they didn't I, give her an out. Yeah, basically. But I think that it is a hard thing. I'm going to say it's a hard thing to talk about because what are you going to say? Like a bunch of because on an international level, the not sorry, on the national level, the Israel lobby is quite Christian. That, yeah, I mean, think about the numbers like most people who are quote unquote pro-Israel, most Zionists in this country are actually Christian Zionists. Hmm. Um, so you have APAC, but then you also have Kofi. Kofi. Um, but in New York, it's going to be mostly Jewish people. Um, so it's a little bit difficult to talk about without, it shouldn't be difficult, but it is hard. It's hard for me and I'm Jewish. It's hard for me to even talk about this stuff without worrying that I sound like I'm being anti-Semitic. But um, I still do that okay. I, I think the for me and and um you know the 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 the, the takeaway for this whole episode for me is that um you know aoc is clearly being uh, prepared for a big role in the party right like she's probably a future presidential candidate uh you know, yeah there are oh. people who have expectations at minimum the senate you know something like that right uh, and she's going to have moments where she's, she's going to have to, uh, you know, sort of wriggle her way out of difficult or politically yeah. untenuous situations. She does not do great at that. Like she has a tendency to, oh. to, um, to, to, you know, to put it like this, the statement that she put out with this was like completely incomprehensible and, and, um, you know, uh, I'd rather get a pap smear from Edward Scissorhands than watch mainstream news. Thanks, guys. All right. I didn't. Uh, I was not. That was not something I chose to highlight. By the way, I was trying. I highlighted that she wants Schumer's seat, but yeah. Right. Uh. So anyway. So so that happened. She she didn't do great on it. Um. One last thing, and I know we we're running out of time, but uh, one of the purposes of this of this segment that I was kind of hoping we could get to is, you know, most people if you follow the news, you're, you're either following like one tribe or the other, right? Most people are either blue state media uh, consumers or they're conservative news consumers. So uh, the, 
the news landscape is so segmented that a lot of people just don't know what's going on um, on the other side. So I thought, you know, there might be some value in this show for us to do kind of um, kind of show what's what people are talking about on both sides. So we'll do a little bit of MSNBC, a little bit of CNN, and then occasionally a little bit of Fox, right? Uh, just to show. And this this week was a classic example of a story that was huge in all of flyover country and like barely made the news anywhere uh, yeah. anywhere else. So just quickly, um, Matt, if we could see the uh, see the the Merrick Garland clip. Increasing over a controversial plan by President Biden's Justice Department to investigate parents who voice concerns about their children's education. The Department of Justice is encouraging school officials to report parents they see as a threat to the FBI. The New York Post summing it up this way. Are these domestic terrorists? Parents have been speaking up at heated school board meetings. We've covered them. But getting the feds involved, for many, that's a step too far. Republicans vowing to get answers from the White House. This is a dangerous overreach by the Biden administration to sick the feds on parents who simply want to play a role in their kids' education. Anytime that this administration doesn't like opposition, anytime it doesn't like a political point of view, they try to silence it. And they're willing right. to use federal law enforcement power to do it. This is wrong. This is against what America believes fundamentally. Education is the great equalizer. But now we're okay. government. Whatever. We get it. If you if you go on, you'll get a parade of parents, uh, you know, who show up at school boards and, um, you know, and are angry about various things. A lot of it has to do with critical race theory or things along those lines. But, you know, Garland wrote a letter this this week that was. I'd, I'd say at minimum, I think it's safe to say it's controversial, right? Like, in other words, it, it identified um, uh, it talked about how there was a rising level of threats. wasn't specific about what they were. I don't. I don't doubt that they they exist, but they're essentially now putting uh, these people in in a in kind of the domestic terrorism bucket. Um, so it's a huge story for like red state America. This was like everywhere uh, all week, and it just didn't get it. It just it barely got a peep anywhere in, in the other side of uh, the news world. So um, I thought it was worth bringing up. You know, I think we'll see it again on Sunday when when uh, the Sunday morning shows will probably universally ignore it. And then like Chris Except Wallace, Fox, yeah. Wallace may not even touch it. Mm, yeah. uh, you know, I'd be, it'd be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what he does with that. Um but everywhere else, this this was like, you know, uh, an obsession this past week. So uh, just worth mentioning, you know, I, I, I think it's just weird that we live in that we're living in a country where um, we just don't even know what the other half of the country is talking about half the time. Yeah. And so. Yes, the reconciliation bill is something that everybody's talking about, but there's right. a lot of stuff that like nobody like I bet if you ask most people, you know, what the Harper's letter is, for instance, right? right. Like who, you know, they, they, they wouldn't know. What the, what they the have very strong is. opinions on it. I mean, just kidding. Yeah. They, yeah. they would not know what that. No, right. of course, they wouldn't know what it is. Yeah. Of course, we or I, uh, half of you so idiots, I don't know if you're on, in on this, Matt, but we have a demand for Merrick Garland, which is to take over the case against Stephen Donziger and uh, dismiss the charges against him. 
Right, which he won't because, do. Right. Well, I mean, if we don't ask him, there's zero chance. So <laughs> there you go. Free Don Ziegler, please donate today. And just a little update on that case, because this is a story that the media won't be touching, even though it is an unprecedented corporate prosecution. But Stephen Donziger, human rights lawyer, was sentenced to six months in, in prison. Hard prison. Not like white-collar prison. for uh, Not like the fun party. kind. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and do we want to... This is actually... Uh, this is a feel-good clip, the next one. I think we can talk about uh, Mol- Molgate. Oh, yeah, just yeah, quickly. Okay, I yeah. guess we'll get to oh, that. This particular moment. minor league game that I went to with Susan, when I'm sitting on her right and she is sitting on my left... I caught her sort of looking at me Swiss at one point, just kind of giving me a squinty yep. eye. What is looking and at I was me like, Swiss? What? What's wrong? I'm thinking, you know, like mustard from the hot dog or something. Anything that's neutral. But she poked me in the neck. <laughs> Domestic violence guy. Kind of hard. She poked kinda... me in the neck and she said, that mole has changed. It's like she was speaking Greek. I had no idea what she was talking about. We were at a baseball game. Again, this was like a hot dog moment for me. Um, I also didn't know what she meant specifically about that mole, because where she was poking me in the neck is not even a spot I really knew I had a mole, because it's on the other side of my jawline. I can't see it in the mirror. But she was quite determined about it. I said, you just never sit on my left, because I'm the one who drives, right? <laughs> when it's the two of us in the car, you're used to sitting on my right. Uh, I'm sure it's a you know, mosquito yeah, what, bite what or sunburn or something. She said, mean? no, that mole has changed. We've been together 22 years, that mole has changed, I know it. She said, ask Diane. This is good. Diane is a very old friend of mine. She has been cutting my hair for like 20 years. And I was planning to see Diane the next day. I go to see Diane the next day she can cut my hair. And I said to her, Diane, Susan says she thinks this mole over here has changed. And I should ask you if you think so, too. And she said immediately, yes, I was going to say something about it myself. That mole has changed. I was going to tell you. Okay, Diane. Long story short, uh, Susan was right. Diane was right. I went to the dermatologist. She said, hey, you know what? That mole has changed. I was like, yeah, I've heard that. Uh, Did a biopsy. Turns out it was skin cancer. Um, skin cancer accounts for the vast majority of cancers diagnosed in the United States. And the vast majority of skin cancers are, you know, removable, treatable. But here's the thing I'm going to tell you. Even the deadliest kinds of skin cancer now, the ones that are, you know, that that like to spread in other parts of your body, the, the ones that really like to try to kill you, even the skin cancers that are the deadliest skin cancers in this country, those two are way more treatable than they used to be on one condition, that you get them early. Even the most worrying forms of skin cancer, if you identify it early enough, it is now okay, yeah, we, quite you, treatable. We get it. The only right. thing, the other funny thing is, that, right. is that Chris Hayes- uh, Compliments her monologue yeah, on Yeah, like, can we, can we just see the, the first five sure, seconds sure. of that? Right now, good evening, Rachel. I'm gonna pay you a compliment right off the top. It's your show, okay. I hate to encroach on your time, but that was the most compelling transfixing television I've seen about moles and mole removal in my life <laughs> by far. And I was watching it wrapped, thinking to myself, this woman is genuinely a genius at this Rapped. because I can't take my eyes off this story. This is incredible. So excellent job. You know, I feel uh, like if there, you know, we could invent awards like, you know, most compelling. Okay. T- okay this is good. Yeah. All so, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. By the way, I credit, actually, credit for wrapped on the, on the air. I like that. Yeah. Uh, two issues. One is that she says on one condition that you get it checked and, and Mountain Dweller points out two conditions, you have health care, which is a good point to make. I'm, I mean, okay, I'm going to get so canceled here. 
I actually was kind of engaged. I was like, oh, keep going. Tell us what happened. She's a good storyteller. I know that people are calling her a meander. I kind of like hearing her stories. Uh, but she's terrible in many other ways. But uh, someone writes that was worse than waterboarding. But uh, I like, <laughs> that makes me want to die. She's basically, uh, did Putin cause it? He may have. But she's basically, she's doing a thing where she's like, all right, go get checked, which I appreciate. Everyone should get checked. Get your moles checked. My grandfather died at the age of 60 of melanoma and it was treatable. So you should get your moles checked, get a full body scan. Her friend Diana sounds like an asshole though, right? She didn't tell her. She said, I was going to tell you. Susan, her wife, noticed the mole change and then her friend who cuts her hair noticed it but didn't tell her. You got to, it's like, that's like when you have a friend and you see something in their teeth, you got to tell them, except this could kill you. Yeah, it's more like if you see somebody with like a cyanide pill in their teeth. Yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Right. So then she yeah. talks about she talks about how she's um has a band aid. She took a day off or a couple days off of work because she didn't want to scare people with the band aid. I don't see the band aid though. Yeah, I'm not. I think I think she's a hologram. Uh, interesting, like Tupac. Yeah, I think she's been a hologram for like years now. But it's a really good one. A good one, yeah. What's interesting is that I actually know that mole that she's talking about, and I barely watch the show. I used to a bit, but it's it's kind of a big mole. So really? you got to keep track of those. Yeah, it was a big one. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I found it terrifying because I, you know, as I'm a hypochondriac, so right. um, you got to get a full but, body. I got to get a full body check. I actually yeah. made a made my my doctor's appointments. Took a really when long time. When this happens to us, what will happen is I'll check it too late and I'll be Don't dead. Don't even say that. Don't and say you, that. And, and you, you'll, what you'll be doing is kind of like cradling my, my already decomposing head uh, in your arms on the show, but telling it in the story in the same genial way that. that right. I see. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I said to Matt, you know, this, it looks like your mole moved, right, Matt? Right. Well, right. Anyway, Matt, he can't. He Matt. can't answer now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm gonna. Right. I'm gonna have to speak for Matt on this one. Right. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. Could, will that, your that, Will that your head be, be like tough? Will your Matt your head be decapitated? Like, will it just be your head that I'll be holding? No. I think you, oh, your no, whole no, person they, will be here. Okay. Yeah. They, they put me in a suit probably for yeah. for the end. I think. Yeah. In right. your hospital bed. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, like for. I know. Yeah, the or like casket. a Motley Crue t-shirt, maybe, or something, yeah. something funny like that. Uh, although yeah. my, my wife's not terribly like irony rich about that kind of stuff. Right. Um, all right. So that was uh, that was Idiots Live, uh, Idiots where Live, we kind yeah. of review review sort of key cable themes of the week. Um, break, you know, Kirsten Cinema goes into the bathroom. People flipped out about that reconciliation bill. Uh, Merrick Garland's uh, you know, sort of declaration against uh, threatening parents and um, the spot on Rachel uh, Maddow's neck. Right, uh, the mall. Those, those are those are the big themes of yeah. the week. And um, and we will uh, we got we'll have more for you soon. This is we may or may not continue doing this. We're yeah. we're, we're going to think about it. Let us know yeah. what you think, and um, and we'll uh, we'll see you on Monday. Yeah, we'll see you on Monday. Uh, are we going to do a little bit more now? A little subsec only thing for people? Yeah. All right. So now you guys watching live, you're incredibly lucky. 
All right, if you're watching live, you get to enjoy this. If you miss it live, I'm talking to you guys. If you miss this live, you're gonna, what we invite you to do, implore you to do is become Substack members and you'll be able to, to watch it not live. Very excited to have joining us today, uh, Ryan Grimm, who is the DC Bureau Chief at The Intercept. He's uh, also the author of We've Got People. You can find him on Twitter at Ryan Grimm. He's the host of the Deconstructed podcast. He's also on The Hills Rising, and he's done a lot of great coverage of Reconciliation, The Squad, Assange, as Aaron Mate says, Assange. Right, with a little French. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Um, all right, let's talk to Ryan. Let's do it. Thank you so much, Ryan, for joining us. Welcome. This is your debut. Big things are going to happen. Big this things is, coming up. That's right. I couldn't be any more exciting. So first one. I, I bet just... you could. I bet. Impossible. I... Impossible. I have some pumpkin spice espresso bean things, so maybe they'll get me like really jacked up. Yeah. Trader Joe's. Trader hmm. Joe's. Trader Joe's pumpkin spice espresso beans. Oh, that wow. sounds actually kind of good. Um well, uh, this interview is going to be almost exciting as Trader Joe's pumpkin spice espresso beans, if you can imagine. But um, wanted to ask you where we are about where we are in this entire infrastructure um, reconciliation. I believe the technical word is Michigas. Uh, where we mm -hmm. are in the process, where we're going, what the timeline is, what people can expect, any insights you have, because this is something you've really uh, been covering. Maybe we're at the beginning of the fourth quarter, something like right around there. That means nothing to you know, Katie. It means we're closing in on the end of the game, I think. I actually think that November 2nd, which is the Virginia gubernatorial election, you know, ought to be something that Democrats are taking extremely seriously as a deadline for getting it done, just in case Terry McAuliffe manages to face plant and lose to the Trump-backed guy in that state. Because if he does, then you could see a scenario where the, the wheels just completely come off and everybody just starts uh, you know, running for cover and the whole thing falls apart. You could see a scenario where he loses and, and they, they're like, well, now we really need to pass this. So, but you, but it's, it's, a, it's a huge wild card. And right now they're on a glide path towards passing it. So they should just do it. The, you know, right now the, the, the fight is, what what is exactly what is the price tag going to like say publicly and Manchin the other day said was asked if he was cool with joe biden's offer of putting it between 1.9 and 2.2 trillion and he said nothing's off the table a lot of this is meaningless because it, it really depends on you know how much of it is front loaded and what programs are in it uh, but it's easier i think for the media to talk about you know, numbers like that than it is to kind of talk more expansively about what's what's in it. Because once one side is asking for 3.5 trillion and the other side is asking for 1.5 trillion, it's pretty clear where, roughly where you're going to end up. Uh, and the media can, you know, get its head around that. Really? Because I, if this were 10 years ago, I would, I would 100% assume that it would end up at 1.5. Oh, right. <laughs> That's true, though. If if one side is just two people and the other side is the rest of the party, then I think that explains why it's likely to end up, you know, around two. 
So it's so still closer to the to the two people and mm. further away from where the 48 want it to be. I, I get that that's the way things are going, but why is that? Like a year a year ago, like the entire party was, you know, circling the wagons to make sure that Bernie didn't get into the into the get get the nomination and the you had every wonk in Washington whispering to every reporter about how irresponsible things like free college were and now we got two years of community college in, in this bill and everybody's acting like it's a given that that's what everybody wants I, I am I missing something was there that's a big change suspicious. of heart I, th I think part part of it is that the establishment wants to remain in power and as long as it's them that's fine with them you know Hugo Chavez had this funny quote where he was like I saw a revolution coming and it was either going to wipe me out or I was going to carry out a revolution. So I figured I'd rather carry out a revolution. And so he did. And he, and he, he preferred to be the revolutionary than the revolutioned. Now, that's not to say that Chuck Schumer is a modern day. It's just so not, Hugo, not in the Hugo DNA Chavez. of these people. Right. You know what I'm saying? It is the, D, it is the DNA of, the, of them to stay in positions of power at all costs. See, this is this was my fantasy that I didn't think was happening. And this is what I hoped would happen, which was that Bernie being in the race would make things that were before considered fantasy pipe dreams, right? Um, rainbows and puppies or whatever, as Recline called it. He would normalize those things like he would make it no longer um, a fringe thing to demand. And he would make it so that it's outrageous that we don't have certain things. And that that, unlike with Obama, when Obama came in and people had high hopes about Obama, Obama had defeated Hillary Clinton. It wasn't like he was coming off of battling someone who was asking for so much more than he asked for. Mm -hmm. So I wonder how much of that is, is that effect? No, I, th I think from like a narrative and from a messaging perspective that he, he very much did accomplish that, that fact, that feat, that the things that Biden is proposing are, are closer, much closer to what Bernie was proposing than, than they are to like what, you know, Joe Biden of his entire career would, would have been proposing. And that was made possible by Sanders expanding what was thought of as, as, okay to say in in politics um you you that but you still have the structural obstacles that that you can't defeat just with messaging what what the messaging win does is it, is it allows you to talk publicly about those things in a serious way and have msnbc and cnn and the new york times kind of treat them seriously but then you, then you have to overcome the structural obstacles like the fossil fuel industry being you know powerful incumbent that that has a say in these things the drug industry you know, that, that, that has a say in these things. But once you're having that fight in public, it's a winnable fight. Like the, you know, there's a good chance that the pharmaceutical industry loses this fight. Also a good chance that they come in at the last minute with a tweak or two that we find out a month later, they insert it into the bill that allows the rule makers to, you know, completely gut what they tried to do. Uh, so, you know, but it, but it's, but it's a live, it's a live fight. You mean in and terms the, of like negotiating Medicare right. prices for drugs and that sort of thing. Right. And they've, they've, they've won this fight before where they thought they had like over and over again. They've right. Won they've won it before, even, even after they lost, like there, there was this 
moment this Davis Rhoda was talking about this recently. I forget exactly when it happened, but they basically won. Like the you know the the Sanders he was the Sanders. This was when Sanders was a congressman. They won, uh, and then uh, Pharma had gotten a tweak into the law that they hadn't noticed that that Donna Shalala then used when she was what, HHS secretary to basically write a rule that that handed the win right back to pharma. And so, it, you know, that you can never rule them out. And Democrats have an incentive to claim a victory that isn't a victory. Like if they can say, hey, we saved $700 billion by allowing Medicare to negotiate lower drug prices. Now we're going to spend that $700 billion, you know, extending the child tax credit. It, it'll be fine to plenty of Democrats if that's a lie. Like if they didn't actually save $700 billion from drug makers and drug makers figure out, you know, the next week how to, how to win that back, because at least they, they got to extend the child tax credit with the lie of this kind of offset money. So there are some incentives lining up that pharma can exploit if they, if they do it right. So the idea of actually getting lower drug prices, which Democrats have been running on now for a couple cycles, like that, that's been almost all of their ads in swing districts elect us and we will protect pre-existing conditions and we will lower drug prices. Like those are basically their two promises. And the only one that they need to act actively do something on is lowering drug prices. So we'll, we'll see if they actually do it, but, but it, it's a live fight. The pharmaceutical industry is, is scared and spending a lot of money and they, and they might lose. Like that's, that's a new and weird development. Another thing that I know Matt has been very, I don't know why I'm speaking for Matt. He's right here, but um, Matt, you, you keep uh, looking at this with a lot of justified suspicion. Like why are people backing these things when they spent their entire, uh, the entire primary trying to obliterate or marginalize Bernie Sanders? The other question I think that you've raised is how much of this is really mansion and cinema versus how much of this is something that maybe Biden even wants? Like how much is he, are these the, what is it called? The rotating villains? How much, what political, do they serve a political purpose in being the faces, the bad guys? The problem with their, if, if, if they are doing a rotating villain strategy, they, they're, they're really getting down to the end of the line with it because they're down to two villains. Now we're, we're finishing up a piece now about how Bob Menendez, speaking of villains, is, mm. is not, sold you know he's not on board 100 for the drug pricing stuff yet he's from new jersey which is the you know pharma big pharma capital of the country he you know he almost went to prison for corruption where he was bribed by a a medicare fraudster you know who basically you know paid him to make sure that he could keep ripping medicare off and somehow wound up with a hung jury and didn't get prosecuted again. So he's still a free man and he's still serving in the United States Senate. So he kind of owes Schumer a lot because Schumer backed him after, <laughs> good Lord. I mean, he, even after he nearly went to prison for this corruption scandal, um, he, he won re-election after out, that. He, he, he nearly went to prison for the, a different corruption scandal than the one he was originally accused of. Uh, which which one did he finally, man. which one did he finally get Tried the one that you, you were talking about the, the yeah. original one was the the underage uh, oh yes yes there was that one yeah, that's that, there was that the, scandal right but, but the one was used to leverage the that's right into, into the other so yeah. yes that's that's right but so so he could become a rotating villain um 
you know, he's he's pharma's biggest defender in either the House or Senate. Because there's so much focus on mansion and cinema, if you can if if Democrats bring them along, it's very hard to see a last minute villain popping up that Democrats can't handle. So is Biden doing anything, do you think, behind the scenes to pressure Manchin and Cinema? Not, not, it doesn't seem like he's doing a ton. And knowing Joe Biden's kind of lobbying and, and negotiating skills, it's not obvious that him doing a lot would be that super helpful. He's not, he's not terribly good at that. Uh, now, being president comes with it, this ephemeral power you know, he now holds since he sits in that office. There's a, there's a, there's a section in Bob Woodward's book, you know, he doesn't end at the January 6th. He does the first couple months of, of the Biden administration. Does he write himself in not telling people that, uh, Donald Trump, uh, admitted to downplaying? He should. That'd be a great blow by great blow by blow to have from him. Um, I, I don't think he, I don't think he did. I haven't read the whole book. I read the the Biden parts and he, but there's this, there's a scene where, where Biden um, is calls Joe Manchin when Joe Manchin is, is getting flaky on the $1.9 trillion American rescue plan from like February, March, where he was, you know, saying he was going to hold it up over all these different things about unemployment that he didn't like, you know, which is what he talks about all the time. He says he doesn't want to create this entitlement mentality. Um, He worked so hard. And Biden just keeps saying to him, Joe, you're going to take my fucking bill down. You're going to destroy my fucking presidency. Just, and it, it's almost like he's just, uh, there's a string on him because he just keeps saying the exact, like everything that Manchin says to him, Biden answers with, you're going to take my fucking bill down. What are you doing? And, and Manchin just keeps saying, I'm not going to take your bill down. I, I'm not, don't worry. I'm not going to take your bill down. Uh, but, but I promised Portman, I promised him. He keeps bringing up Portman and these promises he made to Portman. Portman is an underappreciated power player still. Portman is very smart. He was George W. Bush's budget director, and he's in Manchin's ear about this bill. And so he keep, you know, he's making sure to tell Manchin, um, and this is what I've heard from sources in the Senate, that like, hey, progressives are going to try to roll you in all of these different ways with all of these different gimmicks. One thing they're going to try to do is you know, shorten the length of these programs. So it'll still actually be a giant $3.5 trillion thing, but it'll look like two. You can't fall for that. And so Manchin has told people he's not going to fall for things like that. So it is fall for the banana in the tailpipe. He's not going to fall for that one. You know, there's still a lot of wild cards left and, and Manchin and, and cinema both are, are, are big ones, but the, the language that he keeps putting out is we're going to get to a deal. And he, he wants the corporate tax changes made. He wants, in, you know, he, he's just really bitter. Like we, we so Lee Fong got um, audio of him meeting with uh, No Labels back in June, which is the dark money group that's like financing a lot of these like anti-tax uh, increase on the rich measures. And Manchin told this story about how he was ready to vote for Trump's tax cuts. Um, but he had like a series of little amendments that he wanted included. And at the last minute, McConnell came to him and was like, Joe, he's like, Joe, we've got 50 votes. We don't need you. We're not going to put your amendments in. And Manchin is extremely bitter about that because he wanted to make it bipartisan. He wanted to get Trump. He wanted to vote for Trump on the tax cuts and he wanted to get his own little tweaks in there for whatever 
pet projects he had, whatever industries he was trying to boost. Quid Pro Joe is like his nickname back in mm-hmm. West Virginia. And so he said, because of that, I want to make, I want to open up the tax reform again. And I want to, he wants to screw McConnell back for not letting him uh, play along. So he's mode. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard not to understand that. Yeah, so so he's motiv- he's motivated on that. He said he's good with the drug pricing stuff. He's fine with child tax credit, though. He's, he wants to narrow who can get it. That's his whole thing. He wants to means test everything more strictly than it is. Uh, then, then you get to cinema, you know, who does this big song and dance about how she can't be pressured. Don't, don't even try to pressure me because it only makes me stronger. Uh, but as she's been under pressure, all she's done is released a series of like increasingly defensive statements which suggest just the opposite that she's that she's actually feeling the pressure and her i i feel like her only way out of this politically and professionally is to to come to a deal like she's so botched this the entire thing from a pr perspective her numbers are so terrible in arizona that she has no capital left to tank the whole thing and that she would destroy herself because she can't be a Democratic lobbyist if the Democratic Party hates her. Like if all of the senators blame her for taking down their like, you know, crowning legislative achievement, like the thing that they, you know, they, they spend decades trying to be chair of the like EPW committee or whatever. And then finally they get to, you know, divvy out a couple trillion dollars and it all goes down because of this woman. And now she wants to meet on behalf of the pharmaceutical industry. Like, no, I'm not taking that meeting. And so if you can't, if you don't have warm relationships with your former colleagues, you can't cash out on those relationships. So she's screwing herself professionally and politically. And I think the only way out uh, is if she comes to some type of terms, because then people are like, okay, fine. You know, you fought hard and all's fair, but. She could also switch parties. That she could. um, There's the Arlen Specter Specter, which, you know, he switched parties in 09 and then he lost in a last, yeah. primary in 2010 because the base of the Democratic Party was like, we're glad that you switched and voted for our stuff for a year, but you still suck. And so Cinema would face that challenge in a Republican primary. It, you know, will she acknowledge that Trump legitimately won the election in 2020 and that it was stolen from him? And if, if not, like you're not winning an Arizona Republican Senate primary. Right now, she could quite. Easy, I wouldn't put it past her, you know, going there. Or, you could, or go independent, do the Lieberman thing. That would be interesting. Like, hope that you know the some crazy Republican gets thirty percent, and that she can win it with forty. Um, I mean, that's a possibility. The easier possibility is just keep Democrats happy in a state that's becoming increasingly Democratic. Did you see, um, uh, Wilson? Could we just click on that tweet that I put into the chat? This is from uh, Axios. Kristen Cinema's allies have some free advice for anyone trying to bully the wine drinking triathlete <laughs> into supporting Biden's $3.5 trillion budget bill. She doesn't play by Washington rules and she's prepared to walk away. And that's uh, uh, above an image of her riding a bicycle, um, wearing pink gloves, pink sneakers, pink tank top, pink piped uh, shorts. Very so, good. Yeah. Like that would be a long bike ride from DC. <laughs> Oh, she's, tri- she's a triathlete. She could do yeah, it. Yeah, she is a triathlete. Yeah. So Kirsten Cinema's allies. Who Kirsten Cinema? What? Who what? Al- that? What allies? 
clearly the, the people that spoke to were like, you can call us Kirsten Sinema's allies. So there are two possibilities for who those quote allies could be. And one, only one of them is serious. Uh, her staff, like right. coming directly from the staff. The second would be Republican senators. Uh, if it's Republican senators, you know, it's not worth the pixels. It's, it's tweeted on because they just, they want to tank. They want, they want, they don't want pressure on cinema. They want the whole thing to go down. If it's her staff, it's also ridiculous. Don't pressure me. I'm just going to get stronger. After she put this out, this message out, then she followed it up with this defensive statement saying, it's not, it's false to say that I haven't shared my concerns about the bill. I have been negotiating in good faith. You know, the both, you know, Schumer and Biden know what I want out of this bill. Uh, and she kept, and she has in the days since continued to talk about how she's negotiating in good faith. And every time you're forced publicly to say that you're negotiating in good faith, you know, you're losing more credibility. What's her actual, what's her real ask in this whole thing? Does she have one? Do we know what it is? Uh, re, I mean, actual real ask so far are reducing the price tag. Like she said, I won't do 3.5 trillion. Just because or? or... Just because. Yeah. Just because. This is Too a much, bu budget thing? Or? Too much, yeah. And she has said she's concerned about the um, corporate tax increases and the personal tax increases on the rich, which is connected to the spending part. I mean, basically, she doesn't like the whole thing, but she has said repeatedly that she wants to do all of the climate stuff in it. Uh, and other, otherwise, though, she hasn't really said anything specific other than she doesn't like any of it. And who was she and... Um... And Manchin beholden to which special interests? I mean, Manchin is most beholden. I think Manchin is, I think, too compromised on pharmaceutical stuff because of his daughter yeah, at Milan. Yeah. I mean, he's he's on record now. He's like, I'm fine with the drug price stuff. But Manchin is most beholden to the coal industry, of of which he is a, a significant a player in. We had a story that looked into that he's made four point five million dollars um, from his own you know, coal empire since becoming a Senator. Uh, so he makes three or four times more a year from, co from coal production every year than he makes in his Senate salary. Um, so he's actually a, you know, coal producer. Uh, that's, and of course, big like carbon footprint from him. Th there's, and there's also a lot of natural gas money in West Virginia that influences him as well as just rich people in general uh, who don't want, any increases in corporate tax rates or personal income tax rates, but he, but he's willing to do that. Like we said, cause out of spite for Trump and a spite for McConnell. Uh, but what's, what's ironic about the whole thing is that they're not really talking about a significant tax increase here. We're talking about just returning it back to what it was, which is kind of funny because it means if Trump had never cut taxes, Democrats would probably not be, proposing trillions of dollars in new spending, even though that makes no sense. If you could do it at a 39.6% personal income tax rate on the rich and, and, and at the corporate rate that was pre pre prevailing before Trump lowered it, if you, could, if you can spend the money by moving the tax rates back to that, then you could spend the money if the tax rates were never lowered. But Democrats are still not, I don't think, at a place where they could push that and say, you know, we're, we're just not going to we're going to do $3 trillion and we're not going to offset it with any tax increases. They're not there. Um, so they need this kind of weird whiplash of, well, we're going to cut taxes 
in 2017. And then we're going to raise them back up in 2021. And while we raise them back up, we're going to create these new social programs, which if that's how it winds up, that's okay. I mean, it, it all kind of, it makes sense as, as long as here's sort of my unified field theory about what, what's happening here. Like, let, let's say this was 15 years ago or 20 years ago, the same scenario was playing out. The Democratic Party would never be choosing to stick it to the pharmaceutical industry, the fossil fuel industry, and, you know, the, the top bracket, uh, tax brackets, you know, just willy nilly, they just wouldn't, they wouldn't do it. Like they've, they've refused to do it repeatedly ever since Clinton came around. What gives them theoretically the freedom to do it this time is because in the, in the last couple of election cycles, Trump has been the opponent. And a lot of those voting blocks haven't had a real alternative. In other words, they're, they're not going to, they're not going to lose those those people in the rich suburbs in New Jersey and rest in Virginia or whatever it is to the Republicans by doing this. But is that a correct premise going forward? In other words, like, I, I mean, I, I think it's fine, a great idea if they actually do do this. Like, in other words, they're, they're calculating that we can we can afford to offend our highest earning members of our coalition right now. Uh, because we have the political capital to do it, let's spend a little bit of it. But is that a correct assumption? I guess is what I'm asking you. Like, is that all based on the idea that Trump is going to be the nominee again? Or, or I, I think it's I think it's correct if they can get through the more universal uh, program approach that they're trying to do. So, under the which Mansion is trying to sl- slice to pieces. So. Manchin could totally screw them politically on this on this question. Like, there's a reason that uh, these swing state suburban, I mean, swing districts, suburban Democrats are far more supportive. Even these new Democrats, it's it's wild. Like most, like the new Democrat coalition is like on board for this whole thing. It's just a few renegades like Gottheimer that are that are against it because their constituents actually, if if this version of it goes through benefit because you know a lot of a lot of people that are living in the suburbs are you know they 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 don't they don't feel great in this precarious climate uh, and this precarious economy and so if they can get an extra 250 or 500 a, a month in child child tax credits if they can if they can get uh child care subsidized so that uh it becomes actually affordable to them because you can make you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year in these suburbs. And it still doesn't mean that you can afford, you know, three to $4,000 a month in, in childcare. No, nobody can. Right. That's the whole right. thing. Yeah. Right. Um, and so if they can act, so they, so their thinking is if we can tax people who are making more than $400,000 um, and actually only taxing on the money above 400,000 and we raise the corporate tax rate to, to pay for this stuff and the benefits flow out to to the middle class people in the suburbs then that that could be a political winner for us so they they think that they're not actually kind of costing them because they're going it's the one percent that they're hitting less than the top 20 percent like they're trying to be nice to the top 20 percent and because you have you have much you have more in so much more inequality today than you had even 15, 20 years ago. So there's that much more wealth up the top that you can tap to then 
transfer down to the top 20%. But Manchin, you know, first of all, he comes from West Virginia. So if you means test things much lower, it still gets pretty widely distributed around West Virginia. And so if he succeeds in cutting, you know, millions of people out of a lot of the benefits, then I don't think the calculation keeps working. Unless, like you said, they keep nominating nut jobs, then, then who knows? But that's a, that's, that's a huge gamble because one of two things could happen. One, the nut job, one of the nut jobs eventually wins, like actually just happened in 2016. Right. Um, or they nominate uh, somebody who's a nut job, but doesn't seem like such a nut job. And then they just clean up in the suburbs. Well, and, and especially in fundraising. Like, I mean, that, that's what's just so weird to me about this, this whole reconciliation bill. I, I'm having a hard time, like, accepting it logically because it, it just goes against. This might help. So Schumer has very much recognized the power of suburban small donors, the wine moms, whatever you want to call them, who have a more disposable income than a lot of Bernie's small donors, like. Bernie still managed to raise, you know, a couple hundred million dollars. And that, that, that was enough to get Chuck Schumer's attention. Like, oh, that's a lot of money. But then once these Senate candidates in 2018 around the country were absolutely flush with cash because people in the suburbs were giving each candidate 50 bucks, uh, you know, the, Schumer's operation would say, Here's 12 candidates that we need money for. And then there'd be people who'd give $25, $50 to every single one of them. And they would do it every single time Rachel Maddow got them mad on, on the TV. They'd send another 50 bucks to the Iowa candidate, or here's 50 bucks to whoever's running against Susan Collins. And the guy in North Carolina cheating on his wife, here's, here's 100 bucks because he's going to need it. Uh, and so when Schumer saw that there's, that you could raise, hundreds of millions and over a couple of years, billions of dollars from these donors. Then, then what he started reasoning, and he's talked to people about this, was that you have to give them something. Like you're going to lose those people if they feel like they wasted their, their what ends up being $2,000. Because you know, mm -hmm. it, it really starts to add up. So he's like, we need to be seen fighting. We, we, need, to be, we, need, we need these people to understand that that they that they got something um, by by electing us. That I think is is how the money and politics explanation works for Schumer. I get it. Okay, that's interesting. He's just whoever's got the money. Well, well, clearly you know Bernie raising all that money in the 2020 cycle was like probably the biggest one of the biggest political stories of mm -hmm. last couple of years, right? I mean, it it, it kind of completely altered how politicians across the spectrum look at the whole process of running for office. Right. right. You just can't laugh at Dennis Kucinich anymore. Right. Like right. You, you got to watch out. Right. Like, yeah. The Department of Peace coming at you. That's right. Or more right. to the point, you know, Trump, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, just, just because someone's nuts or whatever it is, like they doesn't mean that they can't, they can't bypass the usual Brahmins to, to get elected now. Right. But right. what what you're you're suggesting is that the the Schumers of the world are starting to think out of the box a little bit and realizing that rather than going to some bank in Lower Manhattan mm -hmm. and bundling a whole bunch of money all at once, that you can get an equivalent amount of money from 
you know, an appeal to suburban donors or whatever it is. Right. Is that, is that sort of the idea? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you can arguably raise more because at some point there's a finite number of, of those bankers that are going right. to come, come to a Chuck Schumer fundraiser. It costs money to do it. It's, it, it costs time to do it. It costs political capital to do it because you have to do things that you know are unpopular. Right. In order to, to make them happy. Phone calls. You have to answer their phone calls. You have to give their kids internships. Right. Uh, it's it's complete mess. Like, even the ones you don't want to have sex with. Even even them. Even 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 them. It really doesn't matter. All of them. <laughs> Whereas you you don't ever have to meet with the the people donating the two hundred bucks. Um, right. You, you just have to give them a reason to keep doing it. Right. And 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 Republicans are going to keep giving them reasons to do it, but that's harder to do when Republicans are in the minority. So if they're in the majority, they've got to be seen doing stuff. And cinema, to whom is she beholden? She's 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 an interesting bird. I I you know I she, she's somebody that I would I, you know I, t- I would I talked to her a bunch when she was first elected. She was still kind of fairly progressive as a as a House member in what when was she elected 2012 or 2014. As she gradually moved right, I noticed I was hearing less and less from her. And now I haven't talked to her in years. She was a black block protester, you know, she was like, not just Green Party, but like people skip over the black block part. So I think she has, she has real experience with some of the most obnoxious elements of the, of the left. And I think there's a good chance that she developed some real contempt for the left, living, you know, operating in those spaces for that, that long. She has also seen the left as a completely marginal entity that can easily be smashed and ignored. If you combine the contempt with a lack of fear of the left, you could explain some of her evolution that way. She has talked That's openly. Like a window. She's talked openly about when she got to the Arizona legislature, she she had all these big ideas about what she was going to get done and then realized she couldn't, so just started working with Republicans. And since then, she's almost exclusively kind of organized with Republicans yet main yet stayed a Democrat and probably I, and I think stayed a Democrat too long to switch parties because we're so deep into polarization maybe not like if she switched and fully embraced Trump I think she'd be welcomed into the fold I mean she raises money like a complete beast her fundraising is is completely you know top shelf for a, a corporate Democrat and she puts a lot of energy into fundraising and and a couple of her fundraisers have, have leaked and she's, she's a different person at those fundraisers, you know, just obsequious and, and open and just having a great time with, uh, with the K street and, and corporate set. Uh, so, I mean, so that's, that's, that's who she is now. And they are deathly opposed to the, you know, the corporate tax increases and the, and the increases in the personal income taxes on the rich we reported on how she did, you know, did an internship at this winery that's owned by Bill Price, who you guys probably know, who's like this one of the one of the great private equity barons of our generation, or the last generation. Like that's her that's her social set is like private equity and like soup, like the the richest of the richest of the rich, and you know, and she grew up very poor. She seems to have exaggerated it yeah. to a to a degree, but still struggled. No, no doubt about it. And there's no, I'm sure there's all kinds of pathologies related to that, that experience. 
because it, it affects people in all, di all different kinds of ways. But I mean, the, like the short answer to your question is, is, the, is the super rich. Yeah, the open secrets lists uh, payday lenders, I think. <laughs> and airlines is are two top contributing industries, I think. That's but interesting, airlines. Just to shift gears quickly, uh, you did a story recently on uh, the Assange situation I was a little bit surprised to see yahoo do that story i mean it's a it's a hot story so i guess you you do it if you get it it's isakoff right isakoff and someone else right it's just pure, it's got to be purely a function of isakoff who has just stayed at yahoo for a very long time you know is he's a good investigative reporter i haven't seen anybody um i, I maybe he's had one but I'd, I'd be interested to see a like russiagate argument with him because oh, I yeah. want, because, oh, we said one, yeah. Aaron Mate. How was it? Because this, because I, I had without having seen it, my guess would be he'd say, "Look, I'm I, I I was not a rush gator. I was reporting on you know what I was able to get. I wasn't a, a pundit or commentary commentary well, member on this." I, I've had an exchange with him about this, and to be fair to him, he's he's like one of the only ones who actually answers questions about it. Mm -hmm. uh, he he did a whole podcast with Barry Meyer, who wrote that book on fusion and obviously is isakoff did the first steel dossier story he was sort of you can duped a little bit mm -hmm. you know i mean i think that's the most generous you know interpretation of the whole thing barrett barry challenged him on it I, I think he has made an effort at least to try to say we got to take a second look at some of this stuff like mm -hmm. the p tape probably came from a this story about a Vegas strip act that was called hot for teacher, you know, he's publicly revisited some of those things and answered some questions about it. And his position is basically like, you know, I was told what I was told and it didn't pan out. And I didn't know at the time that the source was, you know, the Clinton campaign, that kind of stuff. So. But I do think in general, he's a, a very good reporter with a lot of integrity. I, I don't know how the, his, the Assange story came about, um, but it's but it's a great piece. Um, you know they, right. they they got an extraordinary amount of detail, you know, and the, the kind of details that make a story story sing, like shooting out the wheels of a Russian jet or like right. a, a shootout in front of the Ecuadorian embassy, or but also like you know showed how serious Pompeo was about this operation, which he succeeded in. Like, and I mean, he hasn't completely succeeded in. He didn't kidnap the guy. He's booted out of the Ecuadorian embassy and he's being, you know, tortured in like solitary in Belmarsh. Even though he hasn't been extradited to the United States, I'm sure Pompeo is ghoulishly, you know, satisfied. I mean, I guess you can, in, in this environment, it's easier to, to spin that story as, well, this is the Trump administration. It's Pompeo. He's a bad guy. So whereas the kind of the standard issue injustices against Julian Assange's story don't that they, they don't hmm. tend to get a lot of play right, right. so right it, and the story didn't get much play yeah can um, you sum, summarize the the highlights from the story as you the, reported on the reporting yeah the i mean the highlights were that the the CIA and for years start beginning in the Obama administration was looking for all sorts of creative ways that they could get at or kidnap or battle Julian Assange and specifically in WikiLeaks more generally, that that ramped up in 2017 when Assange, when WikiLeaks got a hold of Vault 7, which was uh, the CIA's, you know, evidence of the CIA's hacking tools. And the CIA, as 
I think Isakov notes this in the story, but the CIA had always kind of laughed at the State Department for losing all of its cables and laughed at the Defense Department for not being able to keep evidence of its war crimes secret. Uh, and then here is the CIA losing its its hacking tools. It's, yeah, they got it's pantsed like, in that thing. Yeah. They got totally pantsed. A multi, and it was barely a story in 2017, but it, he exposed this multi-billion dollar surveillance, you know, uh, spying and um, you know cyber operation. Not even just spying. It's it's also about sort Hacking of cyber and faking. Just wild stuff that yeah. extremely dangerous. And they lose. They obviously lost control of it, which is you know rule number one of what you're not supposed to do if you create extremely dangerous tools that if let loose on the world, you know, have a capacity to bring it down. And so they got pantsed and now they're like, okay, now we need like blood. Like that, that's, that embarrassment took them up another notch. And so then Pompeo told them, you know, take the gloves off and, and think outside the box on, and let me deal with the lawyers. And so they, they came up with all of these different schemes. WikiLeaks posted video from December, 2017 of what they, what they said was a grab team outside of the Ecuadorian embassy. And if you look at the, look at the infrared video, it's like, yeah, it looks like a grab team to me. It's like, it's like four dudes in a sedan, like reading documents that if you zero in on them do seem to be related to that. And also like what four dudes just sit outside in a sedan, like at 2 a.m., like a reading documents. That didn't happen, yeah. you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's supposed to be 20 cars. Right. And they're the only <laughs> got called off last minute. Yeah. They were going to do, you can't touch this in front of the uh, Ecuadorian embassy. Uh, but it hasn't, hasn't gotten much traction yeah. and which has allowed the Biden administration to just kind of ignore it and continue their, extradition effort against Assange like the the idea that that you could be exposed as as plotting to assassinate or kidnap a person and then fail at that and instead go the extradition route and the judge not just toss that out immediately is horrifying and and, and it's also emboldening autocrats all over the world right yeah, who, who are like, you, you, you don't like the way I treat my journalists? Well, what, what about you right. and what you're doing with Assange? Which Like the president of Azerbaijan, right? Right, right. Like who, who is genuinely like a thug launching a crackdown and yeah, BBC, BBC presses him on it. And he's like, well, what about Assange? Yeah. And you're like, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Meant- they got us. <laughs> yes. I mean, they, did toss, they didn't toss it out, right? They they. They refused the extradition. And then the U.S. Talk. appealed it. Right, yeah. So US right now the U.S. is appealing it. Yeah. Which is, again, guys, liberals out there who may not watch the show, but if you are, don't you get it? This is your chance to side with the Obama team. Biden, this is your chance to side with Obama over Trump. Don't understand why you're doing this. I mean, I know this is an obvious question, but, you know, we spent a lot of the earlier part of this interview talking about basically how the whole party, Democratic Party, seems to be moving, I guess you would call it to the left, like in terms of domestic policy. But on this stuff, on the national security stuff, it, it's like crickets, like what, what, there's no movement at all, right? Like we don't, we don't see it in the op-ed pages, mm-hmm. we don't see it on television, like we barely see it anywhere, like 
to to what do you attribute that i mean i, I know that's a subject that's come up before but um yeah even curious. on even on um afghanistan the left like the squad those folks like they did not really have biden's back when things were looking ugly for a couple of days you know in a, in afghanistan um Hello. That's a symbol of the chaos in so Afghanistan. I, I think it's I think they're responding to pressures that they're hearing back home. And I think um the Sanders Bernie Sanders himself is a very you know internationalist leftist, but his campaign was very much about domestic policy in 2016. And I think a lot of the uh kind of progressive left, you know, that of the last 10 15 years has been very domestic focused there, you know, there was obviously a huge anti-war movement, but we seem so far removed from that at this point. And I, so I don't think there's a whole lot of pressure on them. Like I, I doubt that Jamal Bowman got many calls at all over or AOC calls at all over iron dome funding. Like yeah, it's just, gonna... it's, it's something that exists as a, as a thing online, but there's not much by way of, kind of on the ground energy around it and i think that that allows them to just ignore it what why did aoc vote present on the iron dome um i mean reading between the lines of her explanation she's saying that the kind of pro-israel community back in her district was was furious and freaking out and was like unwilling to even like have any dialogue with pro-Palestinian community and she thought that if by voting present then she could facilitate some dialogue that's 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 what I got out of that that statement but it's not um, like people who are quote-unquote pro-Israel were happy with the present vote they were probably happier than with a no vote but you're yeah. right but that's but that's very true and how happy are they if after after your present right. vote you say well I actually really wanted to vote no right it's like what well, yeah you kind of defeat if your purpose was to like pander to them yeah and you just you then you probably shouldn't say out loud well i was just pandering to you but i really was against it yeah that was, but maybe they just really care about a roll call vote i don't know that was i i mean i i think she's been she's said like she screwed it up but like yeah yeah there was yeah um, that's what she should just say probably because yeah, it's something the she's micro it's, and the macro is a little yeah. confusing on and that. she voted present on that um police funding right capital police funding bill too and that vote mattered like this this other vote right. didn't matter it was well it didn't matter in terms of numbers whether it was going to pass right it passed it was the other pass. one did right. right and her present vote along with talib and um was it jamal bowman i don't remember there were three who voted present and allowed it to, those three allowed allowed it to pass you know it's it in those cases it was too easy to, to push her around at the last minute and if she wants to become president or whatever you know like you can't be pushed around at the last minute because there's a lot of people a lot of pressure and a lot of people pushing you around last question for me i mean i know you've been involved in publishing and you know some entrepreneurial stuff and on the media side just do you have any general thoughts about what's going on with the commercial media any trends there like obviously the cables had a tough time recently like viewership seems to be down is that just a normal post-election year thing or is there something actually going on there well i mean cable seems done though we'll survive for probably the rest of our lives um, right but just in a 
shrinking and shrinking form, partly because I forget who was tutoring me about this, but like news and live sports are like the two remaining things that advertisers can put up ads against uh, because you can't DVR it and just jump, you know, jump the ads and, or, or binge it or whatever. Like what, what good are ads on Netflix? Like just skip Right. right over them. And so for that reason, even if the, even if the audience is small, like news and live sports are a way to reach people um, with those, with those ads, and especially as it becomes clearer and clearer that, that the digital media companies and social media companies are just lying so blatantly about, you know, who's, who's watching their ads. Mm. Um, but I, you know, I don't really know many people. I don't think I know any people under say like 45 or 50 who like actually watch cable news. Oh, and the numbers bear like, that out. I mean, like right. the average viewer for all of them is like over 60, right? They're not picking up new ones. I don't know how streaming services like Peacock are going to do. They'll probably produce some you know, viral clips here and there. But th- people do seem to be gravitating much more toward independent podcasts. And not, not just independent podcasts, the daily is you know, killing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, these, sta- these kind of standalone projects like you know, podcasts and YouTube, uh, YouTube shows. I've got my own podcast that I'm doing. So I'm, I'm, I got, I got, uh, you know, fingers in all of these pots. Tell us about your podcast. Through, through the intercept. I took over. And so Medi let Medi was doing deconstructed and about a year mm-hmm. ago, he left, um, to go to Peacock actually, right. the, which is the NBC kind of streaming spinoff. So that's a, it's a weekly kind of news, news podcast. So the, those seem to be where it's going. And then, you know, individual writers like you guys on Substack. Uh, I'm on, I'm on Substack as well, but not as a, like, it's not, not how I'm making my living, but, but I like having, I like being on Substack just in case, like I'm somebody who always thinks the world's about to fall apart. You're a realist. What I mean. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, I mean, it does, I don't see, I don't see how things get pulled back together again. So we're going to have, we're going to remain basically in this weird, like atomized information landscape right yeah which which really lets power off the hook in a dangerous way because you you can have an entire as long as like the media that's let's say the media aligned with democrats don't want to talk about let's say hunter biden if they don't talk about it then it doesn't matter to like that party like they can just walk right past it we started seeing that maybe you know during the obama years where republicans Fox was ginning up all of these scandals, like Solyndra, then Fast and Furious, and and a couple others that where the rest of the media was like, no, like yeah. not we're we're not interested. This, these Pass. are not actually scandals. We're not going to do these yet. Yet they are Benghazi. Like they did what four years of Benghazi, and they would still be doing Benghazi. They'll they'll do Benghazi watch if they take you know some subcommittee at least will do a benghazi hearing if they take control of the house like 10 year anniversary they'll be doing it so they kept doing it and the left and the democrats ignored it and now that now they ignore actual scandals at the intercept we broke some news about some some grant that had gone to the the lab in wuhan um that clearly was gain of function research and you know you know showed that like didn't show that it came out of that coronavirus came out of that lab, but it showed that assertions that there had not that we had not funded that kind of research in that lab were untrue. And on the right, it just like dominated 
the news cycle for days. And there's basically nothing on the Democratic side. So if the Democrats just decide that they don't want to talk about something and CNN and MSNBC and the Times kind of go along with it. And then the platforms. The, and, the, and the platforms. Or though even if, although the traffic on the story was monstrous, so the platforms were still sharing it. Right. Um, but it, it didn't break through to the kind of liberal, progressive, whatever you would call MSNBC, right. CNN. New York Times. Neoliberal. And so if it doesn't break through to that, then Democratic politicians feel like they don't have to respond to it. Mm. Speaking of not responding to things, uh, last question from me. Can you just talk about the Steve Donziger case? Um, what the latest in that is and why you think uh, the media is so silent on it? Right. Yeah. Speaking of abuses of power that the media yeah. ignores. At, and at least in that case, you've had a handful of Democrats start to say something like, but that's how sad this situation is that like you, you get a couple crumbs from like a couple house members yeah. and, and you're like celebrating, right. He's, he's this, he's a human rights attorney or was a human rights attorney and disbarred now from uh, in New York um, who won a $9 billion verdict against Chevron for, you know, Chevron, you know, killing people in, in Ecuador with, um, no, knowing that its own negligence was going to lead to, you know, calamitous consequences for, for indigenous people in, in the area and going ahead with the, with the behavior anyway, because it would have been slightly more expensive for them not to, not to do that. And so he wins, you know, he, he wins this, he and a group of other lawyers, they win this verdict and Chevron, it would have been much cheaper for them to just pay it. And their stock price probably go up. That's what happens when you pay settlements now. Your stock price goes up because, like, now, like, the problem is solved, and boom, you get a little bump. And the bump, you get, you write the nine billion dollars off your profits, so you don't pay taxes on it. You get a nice bump, make your nine billion dollars right back. Uh, you know, you can even buy your stock right beforehand because you know the settlement's coming. Right. Everybody wins. So, you know, there is a playbook for how Chevron could have handled that. Uh, they didn't. Instead, they just went to war with Donziger and, and got this judge to come after him, come after Donziger, accusing him of, of corruption, saying that he like had rigged, that he had somehow rigged this verdict against them because it couldn't, couldn't possibly be the case that Chevron had act, actually done all of these things. And so they ordered him to turn over his various pieces of equipment. He, he refused. Uh, he was you know, hit with contempt for not for refusing the judge's order, spent nearly 800 days in home detention. Uh, finally, on, on last Friday, he gets sentenced. The judge tells him, you need a, you, apparently you need a two, two by four between the eyes to start respecting the rule of law and sentences him one. to six additional months, which the UN Human Rights you know, Commission had just said the day before uh, was, is a human rights violation. Like you can't, how do you keep somebody in prison for two years on a charge, the maximum of which is six months. And then when they finally get sentenced, you give them the six months anyway. It's like, it's like the most outrageous abuse of, of power. Where's MSNBC? I thought they didn't like when uh, the rule of law was, <laughs> just, was thrown <laughs> they, out. That's right. Get James Comey on to. Yeah, no one's, I mean, not to state the obvious, but like n there's been no coverage of that. Outside of a handful of shows, well, Hill, Breaking Point. Chevron. I mean, show. Chevron is one of the biggest 
you know, sponsors right. of programs. I've seen it like we've covered it a couple of times at uh, Rising. I was watching one once and a Chevron ad was the pre-roll because yeah. nice. on YouTube, you don't pick those because, right. you know, and it, and it can be different every time, but I was like, this is a good one. Wow. Well, so, someone will make a, a straight to Netflix film about it and Donziger will make, you know, like $8,000 in the option and, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, everyone, it'll be a happy ending. He's yeah. going to like a serious, I mean, he's scheduled to go to a serious prison too. Yeah, th- that place is awful. That's that's the one where the assistant attorney general, deputy attorney general re- visited recently and left and like a week later, like announced plans that it's closing. Like that's how bad that prison is. Which one? The, it was the one in Manhattan. Yeah, the, um, no, it's the one in Brooklyn. It was the, one, the one in Brooklyn. I mean, they're both awful. Yeah. Um, Which awful prison is it? All right, Ryan, thanks so much for doing this. Really appreciate yeah, it. Great so stuff much. on the reconciliation. Like just really, really quickly, what percentage of people in the news media who have commented about the bill, would you say know what's in it? The way that say, well, it depends. So of the Capitol Hill reporters, they all know half page outline. Okay. You know, here are the, like they know it's, you know, universal pre-K, elder care. Now they can tell you like next layer down types of things on cable probably very little other than that it's 3.5 trillion and includes some child stuff and right and right. maybe you know, the community college thing because i can it's easy to remember yeah. um but that's probably about it i wonder on oh, some climate like, stuff we know there's some climate, some climate stuff in stuff. there it's just it's just been interesting to watch so many people talk about it and sort of talk, and, talk and around I, the specifics of it and i've and i've heard some people say like they you that it's a, it is obviously it's a media failing, um, but from a tactical perspective, it might be that the media's approach to it has been a, a gift to it, because the more the, the more the media would cover it, the more they'd screw it up, and the more they'd fearmonger around what's in it. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that it just moved quietly through Congress for months without them paying a bit of attention to it, because nothing rates worse than talking about infrastructure. Right. And it was lumped in with infrastructure, allowed it to get so close to passage. And now they're just talking about the horse race part of it. So they haven't had a chance to kind of fearmonger around it. Like the Sanders campaign through December, completely ignored. And that was the Sanders campaign strategy through heading into Iowa. Like they were like, we might, you know, we can, because they knew like once MSNBC like trained it and New York Times trained its full fire on them, that, that they were going to take a withering beating. Because half of the primary voters are New York Times readers and MSNBC watchers. Right. And so the longer they could stave that off, the better. Right. As you referred to in a very good video you did. Yes. I, I heard later yeah. from I heard later from Faz. He watched that and he was like, damn it. This is the strategy. Yeah. <laughs> not, what are you doing saying it out loud? All right, Ryan. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Um, and where can people find you? Listen to Deconstructed. I work hard on it, so. You would like, people will like it. Sounds good. We will we will check you out there and at the intercept and all other places. So uh, thanks for coming by. All right, thank you. Thanks, Ryan. See you guys. Bye. That so that great. was interesting. Yeah. yeah, that was interesting. You seem to learn something, Matt. Yeah, I mean, it's a process of discovery for me. I, I just I can't tell why I hate this story so much. I hate it. I don't know why. Uh, something about it bothers me. Hmm. Not sure. Not sure what that is yet. Exactly. Speaking of Isakov, by the way, and Russia Gate, 
high recommend, highly recommend the video of him, an interview that Aaron Mate did with him about the Assange story. It's really funny because he keeps saying stuff about Russia and Aaron's like, allegedly. And he's like, I'm not going to say allegedly. He's like, okay. And then he keeps going. He's like, allegedly. No, they're having this like little debate in between. Aaron did a thing with Isikov? Yeah, about the Assange thing. The new one? Yes. Interesting. Interesting. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, it's a funny, it's a funny dynamic. I would have thought that Isikov would have avoided Aaron like the plague. No, I mean, they've, they've had a, I think that they've, he's been on the show before. Interesting. Um, Interesting. Isikov does seem to be much kind of atypically honest. Maybe he'll come on our show. Yeah, we should, we should invite him on. Michael, if you're watching, I'll keep Matt in line. I'll shut him up about Russiagate. Right, right, all right. That's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, we learned a lot. You know, Katie, I learned something today. Did about you? About reconciliation. You learn? About reconciliation. Yeah. About Trump, uh, Schumer. Well, why do I say Trump sometimes when I mean Biden or Schumer? About Schumer's strategy. Right. Yeah. We all, we, we, we learned something real. So that, that was cool. Well, that was great. So uh, thanks, for, thanks for tuning in. We're obviously doing a few different things this week. Um, let us know what you think about that in the comments Nicely. on uh, politely. No, you don't have to be polite. Tell us what you really feel. Yeah, be polite yeah. to me. Be rude to Matt. Okay, and uh, we will see you uh, again on Monday morning. YouTube.com/slash Useful Idiots. All right. See you then. All right. Hello, thank you so much for listening to and watching Useful Idiots. For full episodes and extended interviews, please subscribe at usefulidiots.substack.com. You can subscribe on YouTube at youtube.com slash usefulidiots for clips, live streams, and full episodes. Also, subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at usefulidiotpod and use the hashtag usefulidiotspod. Join us Mondays at 10 a.m. for the Useful Idiots Monday Morning Show, where we discuss the Sunday morning news shows so you don't have to watch them. 